Well, good morning. My name is Travis Simpson. I am the missions and discipleship minister at the church at Lachlan Springs. Many of you know that as the Tornado Church. And we're doing well. The construction is almost complete. We're actually putting furniture together and going to have our grand opening here in two weeks. So I thank you for your prayers, for your generosity, for the way you have given in support of us over this last 15 months or so. It's been a, it's been a journey. Well, it's fantastic to be here this morning. Terrell and the team, that was awesome. I loved being able to come in here and to worship with brothers and with sisters in Christ. That's what we are. That's who we are. So I thank you for the opportunity to be here. As I hope you all know, we've been working through the eighth chapter of Romans. And throughout this sermon series, been working right through that. And today is the fourth and final message from that. So I want to go ahead and invite you to turn in your scriptures to Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. And in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of reading God's word. But while you turn there, I'm going to try to briefly describe everything that Paul has written in the first seven chapters and even in the first 30 verses of this chapter. In the first and second chapter, Paul basically tells us that the world is broken. You and I, we know that. We see that in our everyday lives. We experience it in our own lives. We see the brokenness all around us. And as Paul writes this letter to the people in Rome, he then says in the third chapter that all of us, including you and I, we fall short of the glory of God. Well, thank you, Paul. This is such a warm welcome you've given us in your letter. But it does get better in the fourth and even in the fifth chapter, he tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ paid the price that was owed for our sin and he delivers us from that into chapter six, into new life. He gives us his Holy Spirit. God, the Spirit takes residence within us, and we are given new life. We are buried in baptism just as Jesus was buried in the grave, and we are raised to new life just as he was. And that Spirit that now resides within us marks us as one of the Father's children. And that is awesome. But Paul, in his humanity, writes in the seventh chapter, even though all of these great truths I hold true, I still struggle with sin. I do the things that I don't want to do still. And I don't do the things that I know I'm supposed to do. And I believe, not Paul, but I believe that it's in this struggle that Paul experienced, that you and I experience, he comes to the realization that all of this may be true, but because of the doubt that these struggles cause in me, I need to keep going. So he writes what I consider the most wonderful chapter in all of Scripture in Romans 8. In my own life, and I will just go ahead and project this on all of you as well. I think it might be easy at times to say everything you have told me, Paul, about sin and Jesus' death and forgiveness 
and new life. It's real easy for me to say, that's true for every one of you. But you don't know my sin. And the struggles that I go through. And the doubt that it causes in me. And I believe that Paul had those moments also. He has those trials and those afflictions that we all know and know so well that he writes about in his letters. And that very doubt that every so often will creep into my life and maybe into yours is why he writes one of the most powerful and bold statements in the beginning of the eighth chapter when he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to write the most celebratory and victorious chapter, I believe, in the totality of Scripture. And he says this in those first 30 verses, that God has delivered us from the law of sin and death, that he has renewed us in life by his Spirit, that he has adopted us into the family, us who struggle with our sins and with our flesh and our carnality. He has determined our hope and our position in the family. As co-heirs, adopted daughters and sons. So what am I afraid of? What are you scared by? Who are you scared of? What is it that I harbor in the dark recesses of my heart that I just continue to hold on to because I've got to be able to control something in my life. I know that I cannot control my eternal position after I am dead. So in this moment, I will hold on to whatever I can. But yet God in his sovereignty and in his infinite genius teaches us through our afflictions and our struggles that we do not have control over our own lives here and now while we are alive, but even so, much more so, do we lack the control of our eternity once we're dead. But Jesus, because of Jesus, only Jesus. Does he write these last verses in the eighth chapter? So I invite you to stand with me in honor of reading God's word. Romans 8 verses 31 through 39. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who can bring a charge? Or who is it that can condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He is at the right hand of God and indeed intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, because, as it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No. No. 
in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, he writes, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing created can separate us from the love of Jesus, of God, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You can be seated. Lord Jesus, let this truth sink into our hearts. Remove the doubt and the fear and the lack of control that we hold so dearly. And change us in this moment. Let us live out the truths of your, of your word, Father. It's in Lord Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What a passage. It is beautiful. And, and, and in this beautiful passage, in the original language, we understand a little more fully that Paul sets this passage in a courtroom. You and I, we are the accused. We are the ones on trial. And our accuser is Satan. He is the prosecuting attorney. The defending attorney, the guy talking up for us, that's Jesus. And we find this courtroom set in final argument stage and Satan is standing up and he is speaking to God the Father and he says, every single one of these people is guilty of sin and that sin must be punished, God. That sin must be punished with eternal condemnation because they have fallen short of your glory. And everything that he says is right. Outside of Jesus. But in Christ, we stand justified before the just judge. Christ pleads on our behalf and in our favor. And the crux of his argument is the cross upon which he paid the full price of our sins, upon which the accuser was defeated. The punishment for our sin has been paid in full. Our future has been secured. We will not spend time in eternal punishment for our sins, but rather in eternal worship of our Lord. And Paul commemorates this scene with these great verses. He says, who can bring an accusation against God's elect? It's Satan who accuses us. However, he has been defeated by Christ's work on the cross. It is God himself who justifies us. God who has imputed the righteousness of the Son upon us so that we no longer stand condemned. Therefore, in Christ, we are declared just. And in that moment, the gavel sounds. And there is no longer any accusation or obligation in the law because Jesus Christ has paid it in full. Since no one can accuse us any longer, Paul says, who then can condemn us? It is Jesus Christ who paid the price of our sins. So we say, or we learn, that if anyone has the right to to call for repayment from those who deserve to pay the debt, it is Jesus. 
Since he paid the debt, he can call what he is owed. But in his glorious love and riches, he does not do that. He has every right to say, hey, you owe me and I've come to collect. But his love never stops. His forgiveness can never be outrun. So he never calls the debt. In his eternal and unconditional love, Jesus, who died to pay the sins, pay our sins on the cross, negates the obligation that we owe. And on the cross, he pays the full penalty and the total price of our sins. And he says, it is finished. I don't want anything from you. You cannot merit this debt. You owe me nothing, he says. It is finished. No more condemnation. No more obligation. No more trying to stack up to what you cannot stack up to. No more shame. No more guilt. No more penalties. Nothing. It is finished. And Paul continues and he says, furthermore, our intercessor, he was the one who was in the grave, but he was raised. And in his resurrection, he defeated, he decimated, he destroyed the final ploy of the evil one. He crushed his head with his heel. And that story is told over and over. He is the one who deserves to be paid back. But instead, he pleads on our behalf, in our favor, because his love has no limits. His forgiveness and his mercy are endless. Trial's over. Paul, in his genius says, okay, I can accept all of that is true. And yet I still live in this world, in my flesh. And he begins to list struggles and afflictions that we, we endure each and every day. He says, he lists the very things that he knows we fall short at. The very things that cause us to doubt in ourselves and in our salvation. The very things that make us Pause. He says, affliction, distress, persecution, famine, danger, nakedness, and sword. He says, we have all dealt with these in some way, shape, or form throughout our lives. And we understand in dealing with these that we fall short. These are the very instruments that Satan uses to cause doubt in our hearts. These are the very things that he lets us, that he utilizes to let us know we are not in control. And Paul states that in these struggles, each and every day, when we encounter them because of Jesus and his work on the cross, on our behalf, on the fact that we are co-heirs with him, we are more than conquerors. We are not only victorious in these struggles, but we dominate in them. We say, yes, Satan, I have no control, but I have the one who controls all. He is on my side. The Lion of Judah, he is my co-heir. The Lamb of God, he is my Redeemer. The Lord of Lords, he is my rock. And there is nothing that can separate me from his love. 
These struggles that I face each and every day, yes, I may not have control, but my eternity is secure in my Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. Our focus, brothers and sisters, is not on these fleeting temporal battles, but rather on our eternal standing with the Father. And our falter in these shortcomings, in our failures, in these afflictions do not make us worse Christians. They elevate the strength of our Savior and His glory. That is why we are more than conquerors. The battles that we fight here will soon be over, but eternity is set through Jesus Christ who loves us. Therefore, brothers and sisters, what shall separate you from the love of Jesus Christ? The answer, nothing. Nothing. Satan has given it his best shot and he failed epically. Do you realize his story is told time and time again? Most of the time we frame it in the story of Jesus because that's the proper way to do it. But when we tell the gospel, when we hear the gospel, the failure, the epic failure of Satan is told time and time again. How mad must he be when the gospel is shared? The the magnificent and superior love of Jesus is proclaimed. And when the sun rises each and every day, all of creation cries out the glory of God and his love for his creation. What, my brothers and sisters, can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Paul knows and can accept the things that we can see and touch. So he continues, he broadens the horizon, and he says, what about those things out there that you and I don't know about? What about the things that we cannot touch? What about death? He says, no, Jesus died and he was raised and he defeated death. Therefore, it no longer has any power, nor did it ever have any power over him. So death cannot keep us from him. What about life? What about what I'm doing right now? He said, no, Jesus died for that way back when he paid the total price of the sins. There is not a sin that you can commit that he will not, his, his payment did not cover. There is not an act that you can do where Jesus will say the forgiveness line was right there and you just crossed it. That never comes out of his mouth because his love is infinite and endless. Paul says, okay, Death, life. What about angels and rulers? Well, they didn't stop Jesus when he stepped down off the throne in the first place to take on human flesh and to die on our behalf. You see, they were subservient to him then. He reigned over them from the start. And Paul tells us that he has ascended, is seated at the right hand of God, retaking his place of authority. Therefore, they cannot do it. They could not do it then, and they will not do it now. His love will never be separated by angels or by rulers. This present time, everything that's going on in the world, all the evil, all the sin, No, we've already talked about that. Well, what about everything in the future? What about the heinous crime that I might commit in the future? Paul says, no, his payment on the cross was in full, including what you might or might not do in the future. What about powers? He's referring to Satan and his demons most likely when he uses that word. We've already talked about him. He's defeated completely by the work of Christ on the cross. 
and in his resurrection. Well, what about concerning height and depth? When he says the word height, he's talking about the cosmos. He's talking about all those things out there, past Mars, past the sun, all the galaxies out there that we've never even been able to see or discover, the things that have already traveled through the black holes. Well, what about depth, the stuff at the core of the earth, at the bottom of the ocean, and the places that we cannot go, the places that we cannot see, the things that we cannot dream of? Paul wraps it all up with a cute little bow, and he says, what about any other thing ever created? Nope. All of creation is subservient to its creator, who is Jesus Christ, God the Son. So everything you can see, feel, hear, and touch, it cannot separate you from his love. Everything that you cannot see, that you cannot feel, that you cannot touch, that you cannot even begin to imagine, Jesus Christ, God the Son, Reign supreme over that, and nothing can separate you from his supreme love. So what does that mean to you and me? Brothers, sisters, it means you're free. It means you're free from sin and its guilt. You're free from sin and its condemnation. You're free from sin and its punishment. You're free from the frustrations and the discouragement of never being good enough. You're free from ever trying to have to match up with anyone that you consider a better Christian. You're free from not being enough. You're free from death and its grip. You are free from all the evils that Satan has laid out for you. But not only are you free from things, you are free to things. You are free for the things that God has for you. You are free to receive the totality of his grace. You are free to live into the forgiveness of the Father. You are free to relish the mercy and his never-ending love. You are free to be confident in your position as a member of the family of God, a co-heir with Christ. You are free to rest from the endless effort of never being good enough. You are free from trying to match up, to live into the person Jesus created you to be. You are free to worship him. You are free to live in him. You are free to love him. And if you don't hear me say anything else this morning, hear this. You are free to be loved by him. And we celebrate that when we come together on Sunday morning. That's how we celebrate our freedom in Christ. We gather together as family, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we look at each other and we remind each other in the worship of him that his love will never be separated from you. My sister, my brother, his love will never be separated from me either. That's why we come together on Sunday mornings to worship the one sovereign Savior, to worship the Lord of Lords, the one who holds eternity in his hands. We worship him because he is worthy. One of the ways that we worship is through the taking of the Lord's Supper. It reminds us of all the things we've done But more than that, it reminds us of all the things Jesus has done, of all the things he is doing, and all the things he will do.
And we're going to do that this morning. So I'm going to go ahead and ask the team to come on up and ask Chris to come on up as he's going to walk us through the partaking of the elements. I'm going to ask all of you to, to bow your heads and to close your eyes for just a minute. And we're going to and prepare your hearts to remember all who Jesus is and all that he has done and to prepare to celebrate that fact. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, remember that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.